Father, we just come to you this morning once again, Lord, thanking you for the gift of life. Life to worship you, life to serve you. The two purposes of salvation, Lord, now and in eternity. Your people who are called by thy name will worship you and will serve you now and forevermore, Lord. But we truly do not know how to worship you. We truly do not know how to serve you, Lord, for we, therefore we come to you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Teach us, O Lord, your ways. Show us your paths so that we can truly worship you better and better each day and serve you more efficiently each day, Lord. Because the revelation of who you are is hidden in the word. So we just surrender ourselves to you, Lord, Spirit of God. We seek that anointing afresh this morning, the anointing that teaches, the anointing that breaks yokes, the anointing that sets captives free. We come under that anointing. Teach us, Lord, for in Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. So we go back to Elijah. I don't know. We st- I am stuck with Elijah. I don't know whether you are stuck with Elijah or not. I am stuck with Elijah. For me, Elijah is a very important person in the new covenant. <laughs> not the old, but in the new covenant, in the last days, we see the ministry of Elijah being unfolded once again before the second coming of Jesus Christ. That's why I think the Lord wants us to tarry with Elijah for some time. So we were with Elijah on Mount Carmel and we shall once again ascend those steps up with him and be there. And when we open the page of the Bible today, the prophets of Baal have run out of time. Their time is up. Now it's time for the prophet of God. So we come to First Kings chapter 18 verses 30 to 32. I hope all those who are listening, you know the background from where we are talking, three and a half years of the pandemic in Elijah's time, that is absolute drought, not a drop from heaven, not a dew on earth. I mean, drought like no man has ever seen. One of the, one of the lessons I learned without ever going into a desert is that mm, you can survive in the desert if you know how to survive. One, uh, the, 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 the plants that grow in the desert, like certain kinds of cactus, if you cut it and take the thorns off, you squeeze, you will get enough water to quench your thirst. Second, if you have some kind of a plastic or whatever, if you make a cone out of it, dig a hole in the, in the desert at night and keep it like that, by morning you can get enough water. But when God proclaims a drought, nothing from heaven, Nothing on earth, not a drop. So we are talking about a drought like no man has ever seen. So that's what he had said. Not a drop, not a dew. And three and a half years of such severe drought has still not caused anyone to take a step towards God. <laughs> They're still caught between two opinions. That's, that's a stunning part. Right, the stunning part. And nothing has changed after six months of pandemic. You would think that revival would break out. 
Look, see, one of the things when I watch this, uh, because India is a different case together, we always talk about a Christian nation. When you talk about these interviews with these undecided voters, I still haven't heard one undecided voter saying, I'm making a decision because of a spiritual truth. Not one. Meaning six months of this pandemic, unbelievable pandemic, lockdown, economic hardship, death, depression, suicide, everything, has is not causing these undecided ones to take a step to ask for a spiritual truth why I will vote in such a way. Nobody's moving towards God if you look at it with your naked eyes. What God is doing is in secret. Can you understand the reality of the hardness of human heart that God is Trying to get the people back to him. Not he's got any ego. He wants adulation. He wants majority support. Nothing. Just to save us from ourselves and destruction. So there he is. At the end of the day, evening sacrifice has come. They got from morning till evening. Now it is <coughs> time for the evening sacrifice. And Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And so all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold two seahs of seed. <clears throat> we are not getting into all of that. We will go back to the altar. Like I said, the entire set of events is orchestrated by God for one purpose and one purpose alone. One purpose. Okay, We have to understand behind events that take place, every human, universal events, or at a personal level, what is, is happening is towards orchestrated by God for one thing. At a personal level, at a universal level, it is said by the prophet himself in verse 37. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God. That's the whole purpose, that we may know. There's only one God, and he is God. And that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Not that we have turned. He's doing all these things, because he's the one who's allowing all these things to happen, so that he can turn our hearts back to him again. This is the entire purpose. Okay, it's not about an election. <laughs> okay, though it's one of the reasons. It's got nothing bigger than this. The whole thing that God does is to turn our hearts back to Him from the world, from our sins, back to God. And we saw that last week. Okay, now we'll go through that three verses quickly, three portions quickly, and then get into the word. <clears throat> Proverbs eight twenty-eight verse thirteen, Mark eleven twenty-five twenty-six. And Matthew 5, 23, 24. Today I got it right, Mark. I read Mark as Mark and not Matthew. He who covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Okay? First one. Second one. Whenever you stand pray, if you have anything against anyone, forgive him. That your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. The third one. Matthew 5, 23, 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember 
that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar, go your way, first be reconciled to your gift, to your brother, then come and offer your gift. What is the common thing about these three? The first one is connected with me and God. The second is two are connected with me and God. But what is common between all these three is my reconciliation with God. I receive mercy from God. If I cover, uncover, confess, forsake, I receive mercy with God. When I'm standing to pray, if I'm holding something, I forgive. So that I'm reconciled with God and God forgives me. When I'm bringing my gift to the altar to God and the God's spirit reminds, some my brother's got something, go reconcile, come back. I am reconciled with God. So you see the code. You cannot take God out of the picture. You can do all these things and God out of the picture, it still will have no meaning. The common factor about it is that we turn back to God. It's about God. Because you can go through the mechanism, the outside, no? Uh, actions without a heart really seeking God. Seeking God. And this is, therefore, this is not the experience of every man. This is, can be only the experience of a man or a woman who actually loves God and is missing God and wants that continual relationship or the relationship restored. So even when we look at these portions, this is not the experience of everybody in the church or in Israel. This can only become the experience of somebody who is actually zealous for his relationship with God. And he's willing to deal with anything that comes between him and God. And he's willing to pay any price. Look at Psalm 32, verse 1 and 2. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom God does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And then read from 3 to 5. No? When I kept silent, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Why vitality was turned into the drought of summer? Let me ask you this question. Is this really true about all sinners? No. They are having a blast. Having a blast. That's what the, who is that? Asaf, right? Who said, oh, look at the evil one. They all are prospering. Nobody's bone is growing old. Nobody's groaning in their sin. They're enjoying their sin. They're only actually additives to make the sin more pleasurable. That's why now the Narcotics Bureau is after Hollywood. Bollywood. They are not satisfied with one pleasure alone. They have to keep on adding additives, 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 additives. Nobody is just satisfied with the ordinary kinds of pleasure anymore. No, they are not even satisfied with a the drink. They want a cocktail. Okay. I mean, cocktail in everything. So you will see here, this is the experience of a man of God. When I kept silent, meaning he is the one who was used to confessing and walking with God. When I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day. I'm groaning. You're caught between fear and caught with wanting to be reconciled. What will, what will happen if I confess? What will the people think? You know, fear of man and fear of God. Fear of man and fear of God. Finally, the fear of God wins. For day and night, your hand was heavy. Only somebody who knows God will know the heaviness of his hand. Otherwise, they will not know. They will not know. How will you know the hand of God if you have never experienced the hand of God? No. 
Unless if you are if you are not a son, how will you know the father's discipline? How will you know? You know? So this messages which we preach is not for everybody. <laughs> it's not everybody. Everybody can hear it. Everybody may not receive it. These are the messages for the children of God who desire an intimate relationship with God. Not the children of God who use God like an ATM card. ATM card. Not those children who are looking at the hands of God like the children of Israel, but like Moses who is looking at the face of God. Two different kinds over there. And that's what God is talking about. So if you are not interested, there's hardly anything that God can do. It's God who is interested in man. It's God who is the prime mover. He is the one who wants to restore us. So in Genesis chapter 3, verse 9, God is interested. Adam and Eve are not. God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? My regular time of fellowship, evening, cool time, I have come. You are missing. What happened to you? Where are you? You don't see Adam crying out, Lord, I am sinned. I am missing the fellowship. He is hiding. Adam is more like Biden hiding. (laughs) God is not hiding. Man is hiding. God is searching. Man is hiding. Man is not interested in restoration and reconciliation. Okay. In Genesis chapter 4, verse 9, it is not man who asks the question. It is God who asks the message. Lord, ask it. Where is Abel, your brother? You know, where Abel is, he's hidden him. Killed him and hidden him. In some bushes or something, he's hidden him. God who is asking, where is your brother? Why? Because you got something. Your brother is dead. He can't come back. But you still got something against your brother in your heart. I'm trying to reconcile you with a dead brother so you can walk with me. He said, I don't know. I'm not my brother's keeper. I'm not my brother's keeper. You see, he's not interested. And because he's not interested, verse 416 says, this is the destiny of every man who is not interested in his walk with God. Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod, in the east of, he went away from the presence of God. Further and further. And Cain's generation will go further and further. and They will do great exploits. Everything of Cain's generations will be destroyed finally after 10 generations. Okay, So everything that God does is to restore us back to that relationship with him. And we need to realize the entire incarnation, Jesus. And God becomes flesh and dwelt among us. His entire sinless life, his death and his resurrection is to bring Jew and Gentile back to God. And one is not interested in that relationship. There is actually very little God can do. (laughs) He can do. Very little God can do. He will feed you, but he will not speak to you. A lot of people are just interested with being fed and not with a conversation, a relationship. Okay? But then, after a period of time, when Israel is not interested at all and goes into idolatry, God locks up heaven. He locks up heaven. Hmm? What I am saying is, this is the struggle behind the pulpit. I believe most pulpits, not all pulpits. 
or many pulpits. I don't know. I don't know the number. Only God knows. It is impossible to minister consistently to those who are not interested in God with eternal things. It is very difficult to minister to people whose eyes are on the temporal things. You know, the simple example we use every, every day, no? your tiny little toe. You don't think about the toe. But you went, let us say, Peter. Peter went and bought a pair of nice, shiny shoes, the kind people wear these days when they look like crocodiles and all, no? like this long one. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And he's uh, wearing it. But after an hour, and he's in church, and after an hour, he's realized it bites. It's too narrow at the front. Okay. Now his little toe is complaining loudly. We can't hear it, but he hears it loudly. Now his entire walk, his worship, everything is being defined by that little toe. Okay? A lot of people are like that. Something happens in their life. You know, they're going through an issue, they're going through a problem, whether it's in the family, personal life, office, business, whatever it is. That thing defines their life. It defines their worship, it defines their walk, it defines their serving, everything. And the problem is, because of that, they're not able to hear from God. That's why one of the fundamental things Jesus says is, first, every day, labor to enter into my rest. Otherwise, you will not be able to hear. Restless people cannot hear from God. That's why in Mark chapter 1 and verse 38, the most compassionate man who ever walked on earth, Jesus of Nazareth, our Savior, just walked away from the crowd. He said to them, let us go into the next towns that I might preach there also. Because for this purpose I have come. These people are only <laughs> moved by their troubles. They are not interested in a relationship with God. The crowd is full. They have already come early in the morning. The town is packed. It's packed. And Jesus walks away. Because they are just moved by their temporal. They are not interested in the eternal things. And whenever Jesus opens his mouth and he teaches, it's all about eternal things. The things that will will carry with us into eternity, the kingdom of God. And people are not interested. So Jesus walks away. In John chapter 6 and verses 66 and 67, he does not even mollycoddle his own disciples. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? Nobody is stopping you. Nobody is stopping. He walked away. Like next Sunday, we'll go back to church. Honestly, I like this. You know, I was telling yesterday also, at home. I, at the beginning, it was uncomfortable because we were not used to this. I'm not talking about the cameras. Okay, the cameras don't even bother me. I'm just looking at the four faces. One thing I know, in the church, we have to look at the tired one, the lazy one, the sleepy one, the angry one. You know? <laughs> Here you know, no, here you know there's only four people. You have been given complete autonomy of free will, meaning those who are watching online, you can watch or you cannot not watch. You can shut it off or you can tune on and wait till the benediction at the end and listen to the concluding song also. It is up to you. 
it does not touch us at all. So we have, in a way, we have a freedom to preach from here, which was never there before. Now when you go back to church, okay, now with social distancing of six feet where we'll be sitting, you can't even ask that one to wake this one up. Because six feet difference is there. Earlier, remember, I used to tell that one, wake one, poke this one. I gave you power and authority to poke this one. And now, now you have to get up and go and poke and come back. Okay, you're breaking the rules of the government about. This was simple. This was very simple. Three people, four people, they are interested. They are listening. And uh, the rest. So we will have to come to that point in our life. God will bring us. And everybody don't, everybody doesn't come to that point. Please note this if you read the entire narrative in from Genesis 1 to Revelation. People will come to that point where everything else has failed. Heaven has failed, earth has failed. Heaven is brass, earth is iron or iron and brass, whichever way. Okay. Then only we will hear his voice come near to me. And we will make a move towards God. Okay. Remember, all day these people had heard the shouting and the screaming and the shrieking of the prophets of Baal. Jumping, everything was going on. Now their time is up. Everything is quiet. There is a deadly stillness in the air. They are tired. And nothing has happened. Nothing has happened. And then they hear the voice of Elijah. The voice of the true servant of God. Come near to me. Let's go back to Gen- so our First Kings 18, 30 to 32. Come near to me. So all the people came near to him. Now they had to move away from the altar of Baal and the prophets of Baal towards the prophet of God. Now they had to take a decision and make a corresponding action. They had to move away and move towards the altar of Baal and the prophets of Baal and move towards the prophet of God. In scripture says, Elijah repairs the altar. He takes 12 stones. Elijah knew. Elijah is a man who knows the word very well. So he will not defy the word. He also knows when you build an altar of the Lord, what kind of stones you should use. Let's look at Exodus 20, verse 25, Deuteronomy 27, 5 to 7. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build build it with it of hewn, that means cut stone. For if, if you use your tool on it, you have profaned it. Okay? First instruction, ten commandments are given and then there is a sacrifice to be ordained because of the sins we will do. Because the commandments are given, immediately we know nobody can keep the commandments. So offerings have to be given. Altar is to be built. But either it's a simple altar of earth or if you use stones, don't use your tool on it. Do not cut the stones. Deuteronomy 27 and after that Joshua 8, 30 and 31. 27, 5 and 7. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God. When they enter into the promised land, there are two mountains, Mount Gerasim and Mount Ibal. One is for cursing, the other is for blessing. But cursing is not where the altar is. The altar is where the blessing is. 
Okay? There you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God. Offer burnt offerings on it, the Lord your God. See, when God repeats something twice, you need to realize there's something bigger than what we think about it. Otherwise, you wouldn't be so specific about it. Then when the children of Israel, finally new generation, moves in chapter 8 of Joshua 30 and 31. Joshua takes them, the cross river Jordan, and this is what they do. Now Joshua built an altar to the Lord of Israel in Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed three times it is mentioned. Three times it is mentioned. And when it is mentioned three times like that, you can be absolutely sure a man, a servant of God like Elijah, would not use a cut stone. Okay? What is God basically telling us? God says, you can't do it your way and expect God to receive our sacrifice and hear us. Think about Think about it. Simply think about it in the world in which we live. Everything from the wood to the diamond is not used or has value unless it is cut. You can get the best diamond from South Africa, but it is brought to Surat where it is cut, or Jerusalem where it is cut. These are the two places where diamonds are cut. Even a diamond has to be cut before it is used. The diamond may one day end up in the British sovereign's crown, but it has to be cut first. The tree will stand over there. But if you have to use the tree either for firewood in your fireplace or to make furniture, it has to be cut. So we are going from wood to diamond and everything in between. If it is not cut, you can go to a cloth store and a Raymond's where our perfect man works now. Okay, And you can take this entire length of cloth, but it's useless unless it is cut. What are we wearing? Everything is cut. What are we wearing on our feet? It is cut. Everything that we are wearing is cut by human hands. It's not even our hair is cut. And I trimmed my mustache also in the morning. You see, in the world in which we live, everything's value is added when we cut it and shape it in the image we like. We have an image and we cut it and fit it to that. But God says, if you cut it, you will profane it. That's a very powerful word to use if you understand God's language. This is not man's language. This is God's language. And we don't care because profanity has become the norm now in public discourse. Profanity has become the norm now. Everybody uses, like you see, the public media, everybody uses profanity. Now God is saying, the stone which you use to build my altar, if you use a tool on it, you will profane it. Why is he so strict about it? Because the altar 
from the first altar that was made in the Garden of Eden to every other altar of God is pointing to Christ Jesus. His life, His death, and His life. It is primarily pointing to the cross of Jesus Christ. It is because there is an altar and there is a sacrifice. It's an altar. It's pointing to Christ Jesus. And God is saying, when you use a tool on it, you're adding something to it. You cannot add anything to either the life, the work, the death, or the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You cannot. Salvation is entirely, totally the work of God and God alone. Nothing can you add. And the carnal man does not like it. Paul would thunder to the Corinthian church. I mean, his letter, he says, when you see me, I look this thing. But when he read his letters, they're very weighty. No, so when you read Paul's letter, you get some thunder in your ears. Very weighty letters. But that's not how he actually spoke. He didn't look like that. That's what he himself says. So he will say, we preach Christ crucified. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 to 24. 23 and 24. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. You know, pastors struggle this, to preach. They think they have to add something to the message of Christ to attract the people. Something has to be added. Paul says, I never add anything. I cannot add, because if I add anything to the gospel, I profane it. You cannot add anything to the gospel. Then it is no longer the gospel. You cannot add. That's why God is not fascinated by crowds. The whole idea is how did the crowds come? Did you profane the gospel? Did you add to the gospel? No. If we add to the cross, we are adding to the work of Christ. We actually admire those who have cut the altar with nice shaped stones and put a marble slab also on the top. That's why in our houses, you know, you know every every year, every new new things are coming up. You know, we never knew any of these things old days. What did we knew? You know, now I mean I don't know. You can never catch up with the things with which you can make your flooring and your kitchen slab. It is like unbelievable. You know, stuff is coming up. But the the cross of Jesus Christ is still the old rugged cross. It has never changed. It still never changed. Life flows only from there. Okay, It's not an ornate cross. It was just two pieces of logs put together. Utility alone, just to hang a man. Okay. Many men were hung. So there were many crosses in Roman history. But only from one cross came the life. Everybody was crucified to the cross by the Romans. It was only one man who crucified himself to the cross. Pastor Vijay put it even more beautifully. I think it was yesterday, right? Or day for yesterday. Alright. There's only one man who was crucified to the cross by himself by his father. And he hung there. Not the nails that held him. He hung there by his free will. 
Okay. That's an old rugged cross. You cannot improve on it. You cannot change it. From there it is the life loss. And God has told his servants, don't use a tool on my altar. Don't use. Don't modify it. Don't make it beautiful to the carnal man, to the flesh. And that's what he accused Israel of doing in their days. Isaiah 65 verse 2 and 3. I have stretched out my hands all day long to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good according to their own thoughts. A people who provoke me to anger continually to my face, who sacrifice in gardens and burn incense on altars of brick. Okay, altars of brick. Okay, altars of brick. That's, that is the nature of Babylon. And the sad part is that so many servants of God within courts is building Babylon. They are not building uh, Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. Babylon is built by the the charisma of man, the intellect of man, with all men's gadgets and ideas and everything. And it replaces stone with bricks. Stone with bricks. And we know that, but a lot of new people will not know. You go back to the beginning where it is mentioned is when Babylon is first mentioned in the Bible, which is in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 3. When they are going to build that tower of Babel, then they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. What did they say? They replaced stone with brick. You see, stone was made by God. Brick was designed by man. Hmm? Brick was designed by man. God gave us water. God gave us grapes. We mixed brick together and made it into wine. Sometimes we don't even mix. (laughs) Noah planted a vineyard. How did he know? Because God planted a vineyard. God didn't make wine. Noah made wine. I mean, I'm not saying you should not drink wine. Sometimes it's good to drink wine if you have a problem in the stomach like Timothy. But I'm just giving you, uh, giving you a simple example. What God gives and what we make out of it. That's what he is telling them. This is started in Babel. And worship is there in Babel. There is worship in Jerusalem. The worship of Babel is always directed to the flesh. It's human effort. Let us make. Let's come. Look at, yeah. Look at what they say in verse 4. Yeah. What is the, what is the whole attitude? Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. It's, it's, it, it's the whole, the whole thing is, from the devil. Remember? He also uses, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. When a set of people who say, I will, I will, I will, they will say, let us, let us, let us. To heaven. This is not towards God. It's almost in like in challenging God. We can do. We can do it. We can do. We are in competition with God. The devil was competing with God to exalt his throne above God. So that's what happens. 
that's what happens when you replace stone with brick. We need to understand the spiritual symbolisms and the meanings of what God is doing. God says, don't add to my work. Don't add to my work. And that's why Paul is so upset with the church in Galatia. And you have to look at the, the, the what he call it, the, the, the strong language, Galatians chapter 1, 6 to 9, the strong language he uses to the church in Galatia and to all churches, if they depart from that. I marvel, I'm astonished, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. When you listen to a different gospel, you are turning away from Christ. Okay? Which is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. They pervert the gospel of Christ by adding to it, changing it. What do they do? But even if we, he says, even if I later come, I... Am I back? Yeah. Uh, even if I come, Paul is saying, no, because he's putting himself in the category. If you don't walk with God, anybody can fall away from faith. Right? Anybody can fall away from faith. So he's saying, even if we or an angel from heaven, right? Almost every cult you see, they have angelic, no? every major form of aberration, you will see there's an angel. First, the angel of the Lord, Jesus gave the law to Moses, right? And after that, other angels supposedly have come and added to it. One angel was resulted in Islam. Another angel resulted in the Mormons. So like that, so many, either angels, dreams, visions, all are from God. Many are from the devil. All can come from God, not all are from God. They can come from God. They can come from the devil too. E or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we preach to you. Let him be cursed. Language you use not once, twice. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be Twice he says that. He's actually pronouncing a curse. Curse, you know. When people don't believe in the new covenant, there can be curses, self-afflicted curses, because you choose to listen to a gospel that takes away the work of Jesus Christ, that adds to the work of Jesus Christ, what denies the work of the cross. When you believe that and walk under it, you are coming under a curse. You're coming under a curse. And God says, don't use cut stones. My altar will not be profaned. The work of my son will not be profaned. Will not be profaned. And this is the struggle in ministry. We may use humor. We may use illustrations. That is all fine to explain a truth better, to make people understand. But we don't add to the gospel. We don't change 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 truth. We don't fool around with it. An altar of uncut stones. Look at the deeper truth in it. 18 and verse 31. First Kings. Okay. 
And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob. To whom the word of the Lord had come and Israel shall be your name. Each stone, each stone represented a son. Okay. So when you put two, 12 stones together, you get Israel. Okay. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, you, Judah, like you go there, when you put it all together, corporately they have one identity. What is that? Israel. Individually they have their own identity. They have an individual identity and they have a corporate identity. Corporately they are called Israel. Individually, each of the sons of the Israel. Okay. Now we need to realize the first uncut stone is Jesus Christ. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 34. Thirty-four, right? Yeah, thirty-four, thirty-four. Two, thirty-four. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands. We struck the image on the feet of iron and clay and broke them into pieces. There came a stone, but the stone was not cut by human hands. It was not cut by human hands. And it broke that entire image into pieces. Okay, that's Christ. Christ. In Isaiah 28 and verse 16. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious stone, a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not act hastily. So there is a foundation stone God has laid, a cornerstone has laid. It is a stone uncut by man. That stone was not cut by man. That stone was Cut by God. That's his own son. He is the cornerstone. And in any construction, any engineer will tell you, civil engineer will tell you, that stone matters. It is from there he takes his alignment. It has to, alignment is taken. You have to put that first stone. The first stone. That is a big thing. Like in a Hindu, this thing and all. It's a big thing. The puja and the money will be buried under it and all kind of things are done from there. They don't bury stone and money under every stone. Then nobody will build a house. We will be searching for money. They don't do puja for every stone. If you look at it, they don't do it. They do it for the first stone. So somewhere in the conscious of pagan religions also, there is something, the cornerstone matters. That is the stone. Okay? And meaning, where do I and you get our significance from? It's from that cornerstone. How do I know whether I am in line or not? I have to align myself with the cornerstone. So Christ is called the cornerstone. And in Zechariah, he is called the capstone also. Okay? He is the cornerstone and the capstone. In 1 Peter 2.6, this is repeated again. Because what they did in the Old Testament, we are understanding the truth in the New Covenant. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to. There it is says will not act hastily. And here it is written. So you will see sometimes there is a little difference between what is said. Because this has spiritual meanings. Spiritual meanings. Okay. So Jesus Christ is the first uncut stone. And then in same chapter verses 4 to 5. Scripture talks about other stones which will be put around and above him. Coming to him as a living stone. 
rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also has living stones. So what do we become? Living stones. But we are not cut by human hands. We are not cut by human hands. We are cut by the Spirit of God. So you need to realize the altar symbolized much something bigger than any Israel would understand. It represented the kingdom of God on earth. It represented his bride. It represented his church. The cornerstone was Christ. And every other stone that would be aligned to it would be a living stone. It was never cut by man. Meaning, I can preach till I am breathless. I cannot save any man. Salvation is entirely the work of God. No preacher can save anybody. Nobody can save themselves. I can repent until I have no tears left, but still grace doesn't have to come. There are people in pagan religions who have repented probably better than most Christians. While a simple fellow comes, repent, grace of God comes and he walks away free. So it's not my repentance that saves me. It does not save me. Because there are a lot of people in the world who have truly repented of their actions and then turned around and gone into incredible good works and changed society and went to hell. Because if you repented from your dead works and then did good works and made it to heaven, then salvation was of you and not of God. You were that beautiful stone shaped by your own efforts. And God says, wow, I was looking for a man like you. God says, nobody. It's my son. My son. And my son alone. See, these are the things that upset us. But you need to be upset before you can be saved. You and I cannot be cut by human hands to be become part of what God is building. Our education is not going to save us. It can help us to serve Him. It's not going to save us. Our intelligence is not going to save us. Our money is not going to save us. Our talents is not going to save us. Our strength is not going to save us. You can add to it. Only God can save us. This is the mystery of salvation. There's so many things in the mystery of salvation. First Kings chapter 6 and verse 7. And the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry. So that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. Now turn to Genesis chapter 49 and verse 24. His bow remained in strength and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of his, he's the stone of his. If you have noticed, I've seen many quarries in my lifetime in different places. If you have seen a quarry, the quarry is actually one big stone. One big stone. Meaning the entire temple of Solomon was built from one stone. One stone. One stone. Let me show you the mystery of salvation. Okay, this is, this is what defies our imagination. Revelation 13 verse 8 
and Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. This is the mystery of salvation. Revelation 13, 8. Yeah, quickly. All who dwell on earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life. That is the beast, okay? But we who have the book of life of the Lamb, that is Jesus Christ, slain before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world was laid, Jesus was slain. Now go to Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Where, when were we chosen? So what we are seeing is 6,000 years of human history is just a drama that is being played out. Everybody who is saved is already saved. Everybody who is not saved is already unsaved. Everybody who is in heaven is in heaven. Everybody is in hell is already in hell. Only we will experience because we are caught in time. For God, nothing is a mystery. He's seen the end from the beginning. It is over. We who are in time are caught in time. So there was only one big, huge stone. And from that stone, pieces were made. And together it was made. And suddenly you realize he's the cornerstone. He's the capstone. We were always in him. That's the bride of Christ. Mystery of salvation. Nothing is a mystery for God. Everything is a mystery for us and for the de demons and for the angels. Because they have no clue what is happening. Only the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit knows. So what we call as salvation is just history. Okay, We are all historical beings. We are all caught in history. Okay. The next thing we need to note. Okay, The next thing we need to note about uncut. Don't cut the Stones in the altar, be very, very careful. Don't add anything to it. Deuteronomy 27, that's where we had seen earlier, right? Deuteronomy 27. Now go to verses 1 to 8. We have read 5 and 7. Because we have to get the context now. Moses with the elders of Israel commanded the people saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. It shall be on the day when you cross over Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you. That you shall set up for yourself large stones and whitewash them with lime. You shall write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over, that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord God your father promised you. Therefore it shall be, when you have crossed over the Jordan, that on Mount Ibal, you shall set up these stones, which I command you today, that you shall whitewash them with lime, there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use iron tool on them. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it the Lord your God. So if you went to Mount Abal that day, it was very strange. There were so many stones. There was one altar probably with 12 stones uncut, and that is the altar. And then there were lots of flat stones, all whitewashed, and on which the law of the Lord was. Meaning, you cannot have an altar without the word of God. They go together. They go together. You cannot have an altar without the word of God. They go together. There are two sets of stones. A lot of people have altars without the word of God. And there is much activity. And God says, no, you cannot have one without the other. And he most beautifully, Jesus explains this of all people to the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4 and verse 
23. Because what is the altar? That is your sacrifice. What is your sacrifice? Your act of worship. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. What is truth? The word of God. Father sanctify them by your word. Truth. Your word is truth. What is faith? Hearing and hearing from the word of God. Are we seeing what God is doing? God says, your act of sacrifice, which is the outward act, the act of service, cannot be detached from the truth that should be inside. So David knows you look for truth in the inward parts. There is an altar and there is the word of God. The word of God should define your altar. Should define your altar. The word of God does not define your altar. That's your sacrifice, your worship, your religious service, whatever. Whatever. The word of God does not define it. God will not accept it. There are so many churches. There are so many denominations. And they have their own ways of worshipping. The simple question to ask is, what you worship, does it agree with God's truth? Does it agree with God's truth? A simple question to ask. Lord, does it agree with God's truth? You can have different patterns. That's okay. Prayer in the beginning, worship. No, you can have it. You can have your own pattern as godly. But that's not the point. The point is whatever pattern you have, does it agree with the word of God? Does it agree with the truth? Okay. The question God is asking is, are you bound by God's word? If you look in Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 12 is talking about all the sacrifices, how the worship sacrifice should be given. In verse 8, look at verse 8, what he says. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. Just don't do it what you think is okay. Because for, for many one of us, worship is about us. Worship is not about God. No, Worship is not about God. Worship is. That's why we looked at those three things. If you hide or cover sin, God will not hear. Okay? So if you hide sin and come to God, then worship is about you. You're just trying to act that you are a worshiper before people. It is about you. Okay, You stand to pray and you have something against your brother, and you still pray. You're praying to yourself. You're just praying to others. It's about your prayer. It's about you. It's not about God. It's not about hearing from God, and God should answer my prayers. You bring a gift to the altar. The Holy Spirit reminds your brother has got something, but you still offer and go. It's about you. It's about you. And God is saying there, Moses is saying, don't do as we are doing over here, each man according to what you want. Be very, very careful. Verse 32. Be very, very careful that when you, 32, whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it, nor take away from it. Don't add, don't take away. Because we have this, we are very good with math when it comes to God's word, not in the classroom. No, we either add or we subtract. And God says, don't do that. Don't do that. The altar will be entirely an altar of Uncut stones. And beside it will be the word of God. 
the word of God has to agree with the altar. And the altar has to agree with the word of God. Like we say, the Holy Spirit will never contradict the word of God. And the word of God will never contradict the Holy Spirit. They go together. Go together. Where does confusion comes? It's when you don't look into the word of God and say, the Spirit told me. See, God does not want us to cut the stone. He is not interested in our beauty or aesthetics. I know yesterday people were all fascinated when they saw the church. But the first thing that came into my mind was this. How many days will it last? Two weeks? Three weeks? Have you noticed that anything new we buy for ourselves, the joy doesn't last for more than a few days? Because God made it that way. You are not supposed to find your joy or satisfaction continuously in anything except me. Except me. Except me. Except me. Because he is interested in only one thing. Psalm 96 and verse 9. Our sacrifice, our worship should be defined by this. Psalm 96, verse 9. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. His holiness. It's as simple as that. There is beauty, but beauty in holiness. The carnal mind does not find beauty in holiness. Beauty in holiness. That's why the carnal mind does not find beauty in righteousness. But the scepter of his kingdom is the scepter of righteousness. We are asked to seek that first. So God says, don't play around with those stones. You may think, I, I will dress it nicely. No? Nobody wants to buy simple chicken and bring it home. They want dressed chicken. Hmm? When I was young, growing up, I was a chicken dresser. Yeah. We want to dress up everything. In 12 verse 4, Deuteronomy 12 and verse 4, God tells them, You shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. Meaning, you shall not worship God their way. Don't do it their way. No, their way. You know what? The church has literally any denomination. Why does it lose its power? Because our power comes from God. Why does it lose our power? Because we depart from his ways. Because it's all about getting, holding the people. Holding the people. And we, we ultimately are dependent upon the people and not upon God. And to depend upon the people, you have to constantly keep in pace with the world. Because the people who are in the world define the world. And God says, be very, very careful. In verse 29 and 31, we read it. When the Lord your God cuts off from before you the nations which you go to dispossess and you displace them and dwell in their lands, take heed to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed them before you, that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how did this nation serve their gods? I will also do likewise. He said, this is the problem. No? No? Okay. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abomination to the Lord which he hates, they have done to their gods. For they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Literally that is what happened. 
We just gave away our children to the world because we just tweaked with worship. We don't really, we, we blame the educational system. The educational system has got nothing to do with it. We just tweaked worship in the house. We just changed the altar. We just changed priorities. That's all it took. Because our worship will ultimately define our life. What is the altar for? The altar is for worship. It's to offer a sacrifice. But God is saying, before you even put anything over there, just check your stones. Check your altar. Are it made of cut stones or are they made of uncut stones? Second thing, is it defined by the word of God? Are you able to say that this work is not my work? This work is the work of God. That's the work that is done in faith. Uncut stone. It's a work of God. Okay, man did the quarry. was not cut by man. It was cut by God. From there, they took the stones. <coughs> was it defined? Was your life, your worship, your service defined by the word of God? What you are doing, is it defined by the word of God? They are side by side. You see, on a faithful day, representing of the man of flesh in the house of God. You know who it is? The first king of Israel. The man of flesh in the house of God. Who is also saved at that point of time. First Samuel 13 verses 9 onwards. Thirteen. So Saul said, bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. So there is an altar and there is a sacrifice. Now it happened, happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering. That Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him. That he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and you did not come within the days appointed and the Philistines gathered at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down at me at Gilgal and have not made supplication to the Lord and therefore I felt compelled and offered a burn. You look at everything that he is doing is connected with people. The pressure. He's a restless man. He's a restless man. Look at what Samuel tells him. Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. He says, you see, you got an altar. And you have a sacrifice. And I, I smelt it. I could smell this when I was coming. I saw the smoke. I could smell it. The problem is you have an altar and you have offered a sacrifice. You have offered it unto God. But you haven't obeyed the word of the Lord. Your sacrifice is contrary to the commandments of God. See, the, the, for all you know, the altar might have been of uncut stones. Everything might have been right. Only problem is he did not obey the word of the Lord. So he says, you are discarded. God has found a man after his own heart. What does it mean? Now we have another definition of what it means a man after God's own heart. A man who will seek to obey God in everything. That's David. That's David. So this two goes together. You cannot separate one from the other. And so finally his final indictment over Saul is in First Samuel 15 verse 22. 
So Samuel said, has God great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. He says, if your sacrifice and your obedience don't go together, God is not interested in your sacrifice. A lot of people have that complaints. You know, I did so much. You know, in the church, in homes, you never appreciate me. Children, I did all this. But I agree, all that is good. But you didn't do what I told you to do. <laughs> you did everything else except what I told you to do. Right? That's why the Bible says it is impossible to please God without faith. No? The usual illustration I give people everywhere I go. Imagine somebody invites me to their house and I go, once a year I go, you know, and they cook everything Hyderabadi style. Chicken biryani, mutton biryani, beef biryani, excuse me, modiji, all biryani, egg biryani, everything is there. Then along with that they have a little white rice, little dal and curd also. Then after prayer and everything, when I get up to eat, I take little white rice and little curd and dal and the person is saying, Pastor, I made this all for you. I said, Sister, I'm sorry, I don't like biryani. But I made it with so much love, so much sacrifice. But you didn't ask me what I like. Everything you made is what you like and you think what I like. All you had to do is Give me a call or ask my wife, what does pastor like? She would have said, throw some coconut into it. <laughs> so much of what we do does not please God. Because to please God, it has to be done by faith. And faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. So God says, I don't want your sacrifice. I don't want your offerings. I am looking for somebody who obeys my voice. And I will have somebody like that, he says. Even in your, he, he's not so much looking at the, like the quantum of our sin. He's looking at the quantum of our obedience in repentance. Like no man's sin like David in the Bible. I mean, you can't take any sin out of him. He's done it all. But no man repented like him either. Because he was a man after God's own heart. Like I said in the introduction, if you are not interested in God and the things of God, you can't preach to those people. And even Jesus walks away. Even Jesus walks away. No? Jesus walks away. So that's what happened to this guy. Saul. So understand the nature of the altar. The word of God and the altar has to go together. The word of God should define your altar and the altar should be defined by the word of God. It goes together side by side. The word of God or faith should lead to obedience. And ultimately, God found only one man like that. It was not David. It was the son of David. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 to 7, you will see how the altar, the sacrifice, the voice of the Lord, everything is defined in one person. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. It's a superstition statement. He says in the word of God, 
it is written, your will. I will do exactly what you want me to do. My entire life will be one long stretch of sacrifice. That's why when we teach, we say, how are we saved? By the life of Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. All three matter. If he had lived his life for himself, he couldn't have become God's atonement. So he says, behold, I have come. This is exactly what God is asking us in Romans, will offer yourself as a living sacrifice. What is this living sacrifice? I don't want dead sacrifice. I don't want dead sacrifices. I had enough of that in the old covenant. Too many. I want living sacrifices. What is living sacrifices? Is the man or the woman who rises up each day says, Behold, I have come to do your will. And in the volume of your book, it is written about me. Show me your will. So Jesus said, when you pray, this is how you need to pray. Your name, your kingdom, your will be done. And when you do that, you're not living your life. You're living a life that is pleasing to me. It is a living sacrifice. When I breathe, it smells good. Wherever you see this sacrifice, sacrifice in the old covenant which God accepted, and it says it is a sweet-smelling aroma. Do you think he liked the smell of cooked food or burnt food? No. It is just a spiritual reflection of the life of Jesus Christ and the life of every believer who lives that life in and through Christ. He says, your life smells good. You smell good. That's what God is asking about. No, That's why the Bible says it is impossible to please God without faith. Faith is the only way we can please God. So here was one person, ultimate sacrifice, perfect obedience, complete sacrifice. And when God saw him on the cross, his life and his death, God was satisfied. That's what Isaiah 53, 10 and 11 says. He poured his entire soul as a sin and a guilt offering. And God looked at it and he said, I am pleased. I am satisfied. So please remember, Elijah's altar is not a joke. Okay, Elijah's altar is not a joke. Now let us go further. Another point, 18, go to 18, and verses 30 to 33. If I can have it all together, four verses would be super. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him. He repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes. Okay, and verse 32. Is it possible? Oh, good. Cool. Okay. He he repaired the altar of the Lord. Look at how it goes. Okay. He repaired. Elijah, I will put Elijah there. Elijah repaired the altar of the Lord. Elijah took 12 stones. With the stones, Elijah built an altar in the name of the Lord. Elijah made a trench around the altar large enough. Elijah put the wood in order. Elijah cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood. And said, the only thing allowed the people to do is bring water and pour it. Everything else was done by Elijah. Everything else was done by Elijah. So the question is, why? Why is it? Why is he does, why doesn't he include anybody? Because in that entire crowd, he's the only one who has a life of faith and obedience. And God's work can be done by only those who have a life of faith and obedience. The others. 
when the others are bringing water and pouring, it is the first act of surrender. It is their first act of surrender. They are not getting involved in the work of God. So when I train people into ministry, I will tell them, when you go on missions, like we all went, where in the first places, you almost did everything yourself. You cleaned the church, you led worship, you preached, you didn't get allow anybody to get involved in the work of the church. Because you are planting a church and you cannot get this unconsecrated, unsurrendered people involved in the work of God. You did everything. And then when one person surrendered and said, Pastor, I want to, I surrender my life. I want, no, you come and join me. Come and join me. He didn't allow anybody to get involved over there. Because what is God looking for first? God is not looking for technicians and uh, uh, carpenters and masons. He's not looking for any of those people. Those who can dress the stones and all. Anybody among here who's a butcher? Yeah, yeah, you come. You, You guys cut the bull. Hey, how many woodcutters are here? Okay, three. Okay, you come in. He didn't ask. Any masteries here? Yes, you come. You make the altar. So different things are taking place over here. He did not use different people to do different things. He did it all by himself. It's not because there were rarely trained people in the crowd. There were no consecrated people in the crowd. There are no consecrated people in the crowd. Please understand that. That's the first thing God looks. Do you have faith? Do you have the obedience that comes from faith? He's not listening to my voice. He's listening first. Do I obey his voice? He doesn't listen to our songs first or our prayers first. Any of these things. So many prayers we say, God, answer. Even if you haven't prayed, you would have got it. It was not an answer to a prayer. It was simply the mercy of a loving God. Oh, I got a job. 500 Gentiles got a job. You also got a job. So what's the difference between you and you? I got a promotion. 300 Gentiles got promotion. What's the difference between I bought a new car. They bought two new cars. So don't bring all this and say, God, answered my prayer. Sometimes it is had nothing to do with your prayer at all. Tell me one thing in your life which the Gentile hasn't got. Tell me one thing in your life which the Gentile hasn't got. So the question is, is there faith? Do you believe? Will you obey? Remember Cain and Abel? We heard, no? Cain offered it. Excellent sacrifice, but it was cut of human hands. If you spiritually look at every stone in Cain's altar was cut by him. Every offering on that was his work, his sweat, his labor. But how did Abel's become more excellent? Because there's one word used there, by faith. He listened to the voice of God and gave it to God what God wanted. His way, God's way, not his way. Lord, I am a shepherd, Lord. Okay, 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 Lord. You don't want vegetables, you want a lamb. Lord, this is the cute little thing, Lord. I will put it on the altar. God says, no, that's not what I said. I said, kill it. Lord, but Lord, how can I kill it? But that's my way. 
whatever Abel did was not pleasing to him, but was pleasing to God. It was painful to him, but pleasing to God. So, so many of the things which God may tell you to do may be painful to you, but pleasing to God. And because you don't understand, you still do it because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. You don't see it. Why should I do it that way? But I will still do it this way. I don't see it. But you see something which I don't see it. I don't have to ask, Lord, reveal it to me. Now, one day you may, you may not. You may, you may not. That's your sovereignty. If this is one of those secret things which belong to God, I may have to do it all my life and never see it until I reach on the other side. That's where faith comes in. That's where faith comes in. And so people of God, servants of God, men and women of God, has to be willing to go through humiliation, misunderstanding, hostility, because the people of the world are not going to understand you. Just keep your mouth shut and keep doing it. You know why? Because you're doing it by faith. You're doing it by faith. So when Abel did it, nobody understood. His brother was angry, mad, and killed him for that. So the question is, do you believe? Do you have faith? You look at any one of them in that narrative in Hebrews 11. Which one understood? Noah, when he heard, with godly fear, built an ark for the saving of his family. Has it rained? Does he know what a flood is? Does anybody have a boat in the middle of that land? No. And this is a dude who is building a boat when everybody is building houses, mansions, palaces. This guy is building a boat. So God is saying, what you build, does it look contrary to what the world is building? Are you still building or are you, the pressure is too much? Let me start changing my construction a little to look like the world so that you know they will not be offended, they will not mock me, they will not scorn me. That's what happened to the church. Ultimately, we are speaking to the church. The church couldn't handle the pressure anymore, so they changed. So if Luther or Wesley or any of them were to come today, they would beat the heck out of the Lutheran church and the Methodist churches and all. The what were the founders and what are the followers? What did they preach and what do they practice? Our Pentecostal churches, the origin, the first set of Pentecostals were uh, the apostles. What did they preach and what do the Pentecostals follow? You look at it. You know why? The pressure got too much on us and we started changing. So God says, will you obey? No, I did. For 100, 100 years, 120 years. Abraham, when he heard the voice of God, he obeyed and went going without knowing where he was. That is faith. God does not have to explain to you. Many things God does not explain because if he did, we wouldn't understand. We think we are smart. <laughs> but we don't realize before God, we are dumbos. So many things which we understand is because God came down to our primary level and explained to us. We understand everything. I had a revelation. God is an idiot. <laughs> Just zip your lips. It's not a revelation. Okay. No, it's a revelation. I had a revelation. He said, "Do you know Dumbo, the ordinary people in Spurgeon's church, could preach better than you? Have you read his sermons? 
Forget some, forget Spurgeon. I mean, he, was, he was highly anointed. Listen to his sermons. Read his sermons. If you could preach this sermon to a peep crowd like that, what is their caliber? Consistently. One daily devotion sends us up the wall. One line of Spurgeon. We know who Spurgeon is. What kind of a congregation did he have? What kind of a spiritual intellect did he that he would confound Marxism when Marxism was birthed through the mouth of Marx? No? So, God says, you know what? Don't boast about your revelation and all. Just chill. Just walk by faith. When you are building an altar, don't use human hands. Let it be uncut. And also see that the word of God goes with it. Second thing about the, um, uh, the, the third thing about the altar. Exodus 20 and verse 25. Okay. One part. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of human stones. For if you have used your tool, you have profaned it. And verse 26. Nor shall you go up by steps to my altar. He says, you know what? There should be no steps to my altar. We like steps. But God says, no steps to my altar. No steps to my altar. These are spiritual realities. No steps to the altar. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You are saved by grace. In grace alone. By grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourself. It is the gift of God. Not of works. Lest anyone should boast. What is he saying? It's level ground at the foot of the cross. Everybody comes through the same door. There are no two doors. One door for congregation, one door for pastor. No, same door. One door for ordinary, one door for the kings. God says no. It's same. The foot of the cross. I gave this illustration long time ago. It was in an Anglican church in uh, in England in the old days. You know they have this rail where you, even in the CNI church, you will see when you take for communion, people will come there and kneel. So there was this drunk dirtly dressed drunk who was in the congregation along with Lord Mountbatten and all where entourage were all there in the church so when it was communion time the drunk got up and he went and knelt next to Mountbatten so his security detail was trying to move him so Mountbatten looked at them and said don't stop him at the foot of the cross we are all the same we are all the same okay so one of the first thing God says about the altar is don't make steps don't make steps. Okay. The problem is, let us imagine this is the altar and you have six steps here. The one fellow is on step one, another fellow is on step two, another fellow is on step three. Now you have a hierarchy there. There's only one name under heaven by which there is salvation. It's the name of Jesus. Okay. There is only one mediator between God and man, that is Jesus Christ. There is not Jude here and Paul here and Peter here and Mary here and Jesus. No, only one. Don't make all these steps. Only one step. You see, God had seen all these things that would happen in history. So he said only one. Now you will say, but there is, isn't there the high priest and uh, this priest? That is just function. Even the high priest, when he went to the holy, first he made atonement for himself. His atonement was not different from the other's atonement. He also was saved through the same blood. 
where you're talking with. There may be order and responsibility is different. First of all in the church, there is apostles, then prophets, then, yeah. But the apostle is also saved by the cross. The prophet is also saved by the cross. The teacher is also saved by the cross. Everybody is saved by the same way. There's no other way. It's the blood of Jesus that saves. So God says, no steps, please. No steps, please. Everybody. Galatians 3, 26, 28 and Colossians 3, 11. Galatians 3, 26 to 28. For you are all sons of God. You are all what? Some are sons of God, some are servants of God. God says, no, all are sons of God. Through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on. And verse 28, there is no Jew nor Greek. Hmm? That is what the first problem that happened over there. Oh, you are Gentile Christian. I am Jewish Christian. So I cannot fellowship with you. If that day Paul hadn't stood up, can you imagine the system that would have happened in the church then itself? Paul, Peter, the first one who spoke, and Barnabas who taught, uh, encouraged and taught and mentored Paul, both have fallen away because they made one step to the altar. One step to the altar. Oh, I wish there was a stool here. No, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> Can you think about it? That's exactly what they were trying to do. That's exactly what they were trying to do. The entire book of Galatians is written because of that. And you see that everywhere. Especially in Kerala and India. Syrian Christian. What difference does it make it to God? And the Syrian Christian can't even speak Syriac. That's a funny thing. And they call themselves Syrian Christians. When Syria is content, constant bombardment by Israel. It's okay, Peter. It's oh, you. Oh, no, 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 I don't need that. I don't. Need, that would be too high. I'm talking about a okay, one step. So what is happening? Jewish Christians are standing one step higher than Gentile Christians. That's what happened. God said, "Don't make any steps to my altar. There are no steps. I am closer to Christ than you. You see, we are Jewish. You had advantages. That's a different thing." Advantages. But that doesn't mean you are you are closer to God. No, you are not. You are not. The Gentile and the Jew has to come through Christ and the same spirit to God. There's no distinction. There's no distinction. When it comes to salvation, the foot of the cross is level ground. Next words. Yeah. There is no Jew nor Greek. There is no slave nor free. There is no madam and uh, by. Okay? There is no mistress and maidservant. There is no master and manservant. Both are made equal. Let me ask you this question. For whom is it easier to go to the cross then? The maid and the manservant. Then the mistress and the maids and the master. Huh? You are also coming with me? You mean to say you will be also sitting at the same level in the kingdom? You are also son, I am also son. No, then I don't want to be son. That's what Jesus looked at and said to the Pharisees. The publicans, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering into the kingdom of God. While you guys are out. You know why you are out? You don't want to, you are not willing to come through that door because they are coming through. You think all your scholastic abilities in the Torah and all your sacrifices should give you special privilege. I am sorry. You all come through the same door. 
my work and my work alone. And these people are willing to believe and they get in. You are out. You know why? Because we made steps to the altar. No male, no female. No, I am male, so I have special access to God. Females, you have to stand there, okay? Understand that. No, God says no. Salvation is the same. You are all one in Christ Jesus. There's no difference. So you will see, first, you will see he deals with race. Second, he deals with class. And third, he deals with gender. This is a problem in the world right now. We are seeing on the streets in US, right? So I wouldn't say the US politics failed. I would say the church in US failed. There's no race. There's no class. There is no gender. When I talk about equality, it's in Christ. And in Christ alone. No government can do this. No government can do that. There are no steps. I'm sorry, brother. There are no steps. No race has special privilege. No, every race has the same privilege in Christ. No class has special privilege. Every class has the same. This thing. You look at what religion has done from Brahmin to Shudra. You want to go to God? Come through us. How dare you on your wedding go on a horse? It's only meant for our caste. It's the same thing everywhere. Everywhere it is the same. And that's what God is saying. How many steps do you have? Colossians 3.11 There is neither Greek nor Jew Circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ in all and all in Christ. This is the struggle believers face. Just imagine there are five of us sitting over here. We are all educated. We are all degree, post-graduation, everything is professionally qualified and all. And one illiterate fellow comes into our church. He's saved and he does not even speak English. Do you know whether you will struggle to fellowship with him? Honest fellowship. Not to show this false sympathy because he is lower than you or weaker than you. So we know I need to, I need to. You know, God just another brother in the Lord. He may not be culturally proficient as you. He doesn't use a fork and spoon. He doesn't eat your diet. He doesn't dress like you. But the fact is that he is the same as you in Christ. There's no difference. Absolutely no difference. And we struggle with these concepts. And we don't realize in us there is race, there is class, there is gender. All these things are there in us by which. But God says the altar will have no steps. Absolutely no steps. We are all different, different stones but cut from the same rock. Are you getting it? Imagine you are wearing a three-piece suit. Right? Three-piece suit. Cut from the same fabric. The trouser doesn't look like the coat. The inside waistcoat doesn't look like the coat. But if you look at it, the fabric is the same. So he is different, you are different, you are different, you are different. I am different, but cut from the same fabric. If you are saved, the same stone. Same stone. That's how the altar is. You shall have no steps to it. Okay? Steps. Don't add anything to the work of Jesus Christ. Don't put six steps to it. There's only one way. 
And in that way, there are no steps. Okay? If you add psychology to the word of God, your mind will fall apart. If you add dermatology to the word, your hair will fall apart. If you add dentistry to the word of God, your teeth will fall off. If you add sociology to the word of God, your society will fall apart. The word of God can stand on its own. Like we keep saying, truth doesn't need any props. It will stand on its own. It will either free you or damn you. And Jesus said it, I didn't. He said, the words you have heard will judge you that day. Either free or damned to hell. Truth stands on its own. You cannot add anything to it. And our problem is, we try to add to the truth. We add steps over there. We bring psychology, we bring sociology, we bring everyology over there, we isms and we add it over it and then we realize, why does God never hear me? Why is that I never hear from God? Where I'm stuck in a rut in my spiritual walk? How am I not? Why am I not moving forward? Because you know what? We made steps to the altar. Steps to the altar. You're getting the point what Elijah is doing over there. Let's come to the next point. Exodus 20 and verse 26. Neither sh- nor shall you go up the steps to my altar that your nakedness may be may not be exposed on it. This is when you come to my altar. Now he's using a physical this thing because they are all wearing robes and the altar is very high like the pagan with lots of steps going over there. When you are going up the steps, what happens? Your nakedness gets gets exposed. But he's not just talking about it to them then. This is spiritual. We do not understand God's view after the fall of public nudity. This one thing he did before he sent Adam and Eve out. Okay? He covered them. Two animals had to die to cover them. He didn't send them on a bikini. He covered them and sent them out. Let me explain to you. In Daniel, we don't have to go there. In the Daniel chapter 2, I, I learned this from Derek Prince. Okay? In Daniel chapter 2, you have the statue. Head of gold, right? Silver, made of Persia, right? And then uh, brass, and then iron. If you look at the waste part, Okay, it is Greece represented over there, meaning the reproductive part of a person's body. It's only one part of your body which can produce life. Your head cannot produce life. One part is Greece. And if you look at every culture has been reproduced by Greek thought. Babylon never reproduced itself. Babylon thought is gone. Medo-Persia never reproduced itself. Rome never reproduced itself. Roman thought, nobody talks about. Even what was Roman thought was Greek thought. What we are living under the world is Greek thought. It is Greek. It's the Greek mind 
and how Greek, everything is Greek philosophers. Everything that you are seeing in the Western world to Indian pagan world, everything has been taken over by Greek thought. Even Marxism is the offspring of Greek thought. The problem with Greek is that the Greeks admired two things. One was the human mind, the other was the human body. They admired these two, the human mind and the human body. That's why the Greek Olympics and all was in the nude. That's why you have all those statues where the human body, naked body, they admired these two. The mind and the human body. So in the Greek culture, nudity wasn't a problem. Nudity was something that was celebrated. In the Greek culture, in the thought, what relationship was exalted was a relation, homosexual relationship with a man and a man, not a man and a woman. That was for reproductive reasons. But this is what was celebrated. So we are coming to the altar. God says, are you Greek in your thinking? Are you Greek in your thinking? Are you Greek in the way you think? That's why he says, offer your body as a living sacrifice. And renew, do not conform to the pattern of the world. What is the world we are talking about? It is a Greek world. Even during Jesus' time, though the Romans were ruling, the world is Greek in the thinking. The thinking. The Romans have no issues of stripping people and crucifying. It had been a more conservative culture. They would crucify, still cover the man. No covering and all. They are not least bothered. Because it's a Greek thought. So God says, when you come to worship, when you come to worship, when you come to serve me, when you go out into the world as a living sacrifice, do you reveal your nakedness? Are you covered physically? Are you covered spiritually? Both. Are you covered? Remember the first time Israel offered a sacrifice in the wilderness. First time. I think that's the only time they offered a sacrifice. Okay. Moses is missing. The man who knows God is missing. Exodus 32 verse 5 and 6. Aaron gave them what they wanted. This is what Aaron did. Verse 5 and 6. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar. So there is an altar. And Aaron made a proclamation, said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. The name of the Lord is also invoked. And there rose early on the next day, there is sacrifice. First physical, personal sacrifice. Everybody woke up early in the morning. Offered, burned sacrifice. And bought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat, to drink, and rose up to play. Simple, conservative. Play is written over there. Listen to God's indictment in verse 25. What he actually says in verse 25. What is their sacrifice? When Moses saw that the people were unrestrained. For Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. Their worship was shameless. They were naked, frolicking, having orgies. All kind of crazy stuff was hoving over there. Shame is gone. There's no shame in their worship. And who did it? Aaron. So there are two priesthoods, the priesthood of Moses, which restrains man 
and does not expose his nakedness either publicly or spiritually and tells cover. Cover. Our God is holy. When you come to the altar, when you are a living sacrifice, don't reveal your nakedness because our God is holy. Our God, when he sent man out, first before man fell, they were naked and they were not ashamed because the glory of God had covered them. When they sinned, the glory left and they realized their physical nakedness. They were struck by shame and they made fig leaves. But God knew fig leaves cannot cover you. So he covered them and sent them out. But there is a worship that uncovers. A shame does not matter. In almost all kinds of pagan worship, you will see there is an uncovering that takes place. There is no sense of shame at all. And you will see that crept into Israel, that crept into the church. It crept into the church. No shame. No shame at all. No shame. To their shame among there? Let me ask you this question. Where are they? They are in the wilderness. They are in the camp. Who are the enemies? The spiritual enemies. The spiritual enemies. <laughs> the devil is laughing. Oh, God brought his people out of Egypt with the white tea. And look at their first sacrifice. <laughs> look at their first sacrifice. The demons are laughing. And who was responsible? Aaron was. A priesthood that is responsible for revealing their nudity. Physical and the spiritual nudity. Remember, when it comes to worship in the church, when a woman prays or prophesies, let her have a covering on her head because of the angels. Don't reveal your spiritual nakedness that you are not undercover. When a woman does not cover herself and gets into ministry, she's exposing herself spiritually and the demons are laughing and she's target. We got her on a cross, she has no covering. So there is a physical and there is a spiritual truth to it. Truth to it. Truth to it. And that's the first thing that happened. That's the first thing. So you know what happened that day? There was an altar. There was sacrifice. There was nakedness. And then there was judgment. And 3,000 died that way. The result of a sacrifice and worship was 3,000 died. 3,000 died. Worship should have brought life. But worship brought death. Brought death. That's why Elijah is not allowing anyone to do any other work over there. You know, they are all naked. They are all exposed. Spiritually. So God says, don't change the gospel. Change the gospel. There is a righteousness that covers us. The only thing that can cover us is the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Romans 1, 16 to 17. There is a righteousness. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel of God. For it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, also for the Greeks. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. What is the righteousness of God? It covers me. It covers my shame. I am not exposed before God's enemies. But how does it come? Only through one way, through faith. Unto faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. When you live by faith, 
you are covered. The only way you are consistently covered before the enemies of God and your enemies is when you live by faith. And faith comes from? And hearing from thee? And you look at the churches, what is taken away? The word of God is taken away. So you have a set of people naked and frolicking just like Israel in the desert. They have made their golden calves and they have been told that is Yahweh who brought you out of Egypt. So as we come to the end, there is this call of God through Elijah. Elijah is just echoing God's call. Come near me. And he begins the work of repairing. He works the work of repairing. So God can Start the work of repairing only to those who hear the call of God and move towards Him. He can't repair others. He can only repair those. Because remember, the altar is us, our hearts. And I still believe on that day, there were thousands of people that day, including Elijah's servant, who I believe was the widow's son. Okay, When he reached the widow's son, he was only one. When he left the widow's house, he was two. So it has to be the son. Okay, that's simple mathematics. My simple mathematics. There were hundred prophets who were hidden by Obadiah in the cave. I believe they were also, definitely they were there. There were 7,000 others who had not bent their knees to Baal. And they were the men of Israel. Okay. So when Elijah said, come near me, all of the mood. Towards Elijah. Okay. Elijah can only see a crowd. And we also can see a crowd. We cannot see what God sees. We cannot see what God sees. We cannot see the work that God is doing. We can only see the work of God that he is doing that is revealed to us. So what is revealed to us? A crowd moves. An altar is made. Fire comes. Everybody falls on their feet. Everybody goes down. The prophets of Baal are killed. He comes back, rain comes, everybody goes home. That's all we see. But in that crowd, there was one man, I believe, who would be relieved six weeks later. That is Elisha. This entire thing was orchestrated to get that man. Who understands the ways of God? That one man. You know, the rest of them are not interested. <laughs> so why bring fire and all that? They want rain, give them rain. Janedo. Right? No. I need fire. I need all this. Why? Because there's going to, because the, the moment 42 days, literally 42 days later, that day he ran, reached the next day he ran, and then he walked 40 days. So it's 42 days. And then he comes down. He puts the mantle, he recognizes him, he knows who it is. And is willing to follow. Why? He was there on the hill. His heart is the only heart that had caught the fire of God that had fallen on the altar. Everybody went home drenched by water. One man caught the fire in his heart. He was just waiting for the mantle to come. That's still what God is looking for. God hasn't changed. As we close, two verses. First is verse 36.
altar is ready, everything is ready, everything is ready. But in the it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Otherwise, expect no fire. Lord, the altar is there. The word is there. They agree. They are one. The altar is built accordingly to the word. My life is built according to the word. Now let the fire fall. That's what happened on the day of Pentecost. Ten days, their lives are in alignment with the word of God and the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Then they stand up and they become the word. They become the word. Okay? Now teaser for the next meeting. Verse 33. And we shall close. Can we have 32? Yeah, 32 and 33 also. 31, 32, 33, let's put. Yeah, okay, with the, so that's enough. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. He made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seers. He put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood and said, three and a half years have gone by. There's no rain. Now everybody is expecting rain. I mean, imagine you're expecting for something for three and a half years. Then from morning till evening, these dudes were jumping and screaming and shouting. Nothing happened. You know, your patience has its limit. But God cannot be hurried. God cannot be hurried. You still have to do everything according to God's way. A lot of people breeze in and breeze out out of the church and thinks they will expect a miracle. God says, no. If you look at it, there is a sense of urgency, but it's not taking any shortcuts. No shortcuts here. Everything is being done according to the word of God. He built an altar. He made a trench, something strange that has never happened before, something never has happened later. That does not mean, he knows very clearly that's what he has been told. Because there is no precedence, that doesn't mean I shouldn't have to do it. Because God said, do it. Why are you doing a trench? Abraham did not build, Isaac didn't do, Jacob didn't do, I don't know, Moses also didn't do, Joshua also didn't do. But I am very sure God told me to dig a trench. So I am digging a trench. Digging a trench. After that, scripture says he put the wooden. You look at that. There is order in God's kingdom. You can't put the wood the way you like. I mean, after all it is to, after all it is to, uh, what you say, burn, no? Why do you need order? I can put like this. This looks better like that, no? Why, Why not like this? Why do you have to do it? Always your way. You are very selfish. Why can't I have my way sometimes? Because son, in your way there is death. My way is life. I am not selfish. I love you. I am selfless. My son, when he came down to earth, his entire life was lived my way. So that you would be alive. There is order. There is order. You look at the next meeting. When you go... You read the regulations about sacrifice. 
everything had to be placed in order. You just can't bring your peace offering and just here, take it and go. No, order. That's why the only thing most people get out of a church is a fellowship after the service. Nothing happens in their lives in the church because they have no order. For fellowship, you don't need order. Disorder also will do. Like I said, the best fellowship is in the bar because there is no order. But what should happen is inside the church. Inside that, that two hours, three hours you spent over there, you know who receives? The ones who have order. Ones who have order. The fire of God falls upon them. Falls out. Consistently they are flaming. Their zeal never goes out. Nobody has to tell them, come early, wake early, sit with the Lord, pray. Nobody has to tell them. They don't need instructions at all. They are instructed of the Lord. Get these pictures into your mind and say, Lord, I understand what is happening on Mount Carmel is defining for Israel and for the church. For church. That's why I said the ministry of Elijah can never be discounted. He's there in Israel's history. He's there in the coming of Jesus Christ. He's there in the second coming of Jesus Christ. God will have a set of people who have order in their lives. God will have a set of people who have been set ablaze by the fire of God. And they will welcome his second coming. And they are not afraid of anything. They don't fear the pandemic or anything. They are not worried. They are not afraid. They are not restless. They are not moved by their troubles in their life or the pleasures in their life. They are moved by God. They are moved by God. And to, to generate such a kind of a people is the purpose of the fulfillment. After people have come in, the whole work within the kingdom of God is to generate the kind of people God is looking for. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this morning we just come to you. We just thank you. We just praise you. We just worship you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Truly, Father, every time we meditate upon your word, we realize your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts are not our thoughts. As the heavens are higher, are your ways and your thoughts higher than ours, O oh Lord? We can't even measure it. We cannot never truly understand it. All we can do is bend our knee, bend our heart each day and say, Lord, we surrender to your ways and your thoughts and we shall live by faith. And the obedience that comes by faith. I don't have to understand everything. All I have to know is you are true and you are always true. And you are faithful. And you are always faithful. So I pray Lord. Do the work in us. The repairing of the altar. Let our. Altar be made of. Uncut stones. Not cut stones. Let nothing of man be there. Let everything that happens there be of God. Of God. Only God. Help us to hear. Help us to believe. Help us to obey. Then it is your work. And not our works. The voice is yours. The word is yours. The power is yours. All we are. It's an instrument in your hands. Then we can truly say. This was a living stone. Cut off that quarry. 
built by God and God himself. They will have a place in your temple that day when your temple is revealed from heaven. We commit our lives to that, O oh Lord. Hear us and all those who are listening. We just want to thank you, praise you, worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.